Eric was pretty excited that uh, one of his songs kind of matched the Sunday school lesson. Brother, strap, strap in because um, your entire worship set, <laughs> knowing what was coming, I couldn't, I'm going to be honest with you, um, I was on my face before the Lord because I had the advantage of knowing what passage we're in and Guys, Jesus is coming back. You know, there used to be a commercial for Motel 6. Um, they'd describe how it was and everything, and then the guy, my name is Tom Bodette, and we'll leave the light on for you. And the commercial was, what they were saying was, we know you're going to come and visit, so we're going to prepare for your arrival. We want to make sure that when you come, you know that you're welcome and that you're, you're at home and my question for you this morning is, do you really believe that Jesus is coming back? Yes. Now I'm going to ask it again. Do you really believe that Jesus is coming back? Because I'm going to tell you, your answer doesn't tell me. Your life does. Words are cheap. The heart and your actions are expensive. That tells you whether you truly believe that Jesus is coming back or not. And if he's coming back, let me ask you this, in your life, are you leaving the light on for him? Is it your heartbeat that you're ready for his return? Or is it something that's a far distant thing that may or may not happen it really has no consequence for you. Because I'm telling you, He is coming back. And there are consequences. There are absolutely consequences for whether you're ready or not. Let's look at the Scripture and see what it says. Let's pray first. Holy, holy, holy are you, Lord Jesus. You are righteous and merciful and graceful. And Lord, is that, is that mercy and that grace that we fall into? Lord, I, I am completely and wholly unworthy to proclaim your word. And so I sit here in your grace and I sit here in your mercy and Lord, I, I just plead with you, fill me up with your word and with your heart so that it will overflow on your flock. And Lord, that we will live ready for your coming. And I pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Stand if you would and open your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. After these young stud muffins filled in for me over the last four weeks. <laughs> I did that just for you, Charles. <laughs> no, you guys did great. Seriously, you did. And thank you guys for dedicating yourselves to that. And, um, but I'm excited to be back into Luke and what he's got for us. 
And for those that don't know, Charles and Stuart got to preach their first couple of sermons the, over the last four weeks, and so uh, it, was, it, was a, it was an exciting time. Oh, it was exciting for you. <laughs> like a roller coaster. Luke 12, verse 35. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for the master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at a table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and in an hour he does not know and he will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did not and did what deserved a beating, will receive a light beating. Every, everyone to whom much is given of him will be required, and from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand more. You may be seated. So there are two parts to this message. The first one is to all of us. The second one winds up being really honestly to Matt and I. Um, and I think it's important, though, for you to understand what it means to be called to be a pastor. There are consequences to being a pastor that most people don't, in, anybody in their right mind, actually wouldn't want. Except for the call of the Holy Spirit, no one should be a pastor or even really a leader in the church. It should be a call because if not, you're going to do it in the flesh and if you do it in the flesh, the consequences can be dire. But let's look at us for a second. In 35 and 36 it says, stay dressed for action and keep your lamp burning and be like like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast. Now, a little, little help on how do you interpret parables. Some people, it's a real temptation to get really allegorical with, uh, with parables and, and try to take every little part of a parable and make it mean something. But the way parables are supposed to be interpreted is that one thing is like another because of this. And so you and I are like the servant who is waiting for the master to come home because 
the master is coming home. Jesus is coming again. And so the, what you have to realize here is the, the point of this message, that this parable that Jesus is saying is, we're supposed to be like a servant. And the, what the, the language he used to say, to be ready like a servant, says, first off, be dressed for action. Now, in biblical times, they, they would wear the long flowing robes, right? We've all colored the little pictures in Sunday school and went, you know, with the long robes and everything. Ladies, how hard is it to run in a long dress? How easy is it to get snagged and tripped up in a long dress? Very. Yeah. So what they would do is they would take, and they would take their robes and they'd pull them up and they'd tuck them into their belt so they became like shorts. Scorts. Yeah. Bi the biblical times were the first place that there were th these scorts things. <laughs> True though. And, and the reason you did that is because you wanted to be able to respond quickly. You see a picture of this in uh, 1 Kings when Ahab um, is uh, challenged by Elijah to come up on, on uh, Mount Carmel and there the prophets of Baal are dancing around and yelling and screaming. And long story short, Elijah ridicules them and then uh, and, you know, lets them try to call Baal to, to bring down fire and burn up an offering. And they, they go all day long. And then finally Elijah says, okay, my turn. He, he says one prayer. God, God takes not just the offering, but all the water he poured over it to make it impossible and so on and so forth. And at the conclusion of that, Elijah says, hey, the, the drought that's been on the land, I'm going to end. And, uh, and sends a message to Ahab and says, hey, there's rain coming. You might want to get on your chariot and get down this mountain before it starts pouring. And Ahab starts riding down the mountain. Well, God, the Holy Spirit comes on, a on uh, Elijah and he girds himself up. He puts that, tucks that robe up in his belt and then he outruns the horses down the mountain. It's this idea that you're, you're getting ready for athletic action, that you're getting ready to move and take, take action. And so as a servant... In the house, you're so concerned about the fact that your master will be home soon and you want to be ready to get to the door, to open the door, that your chores will have been done, that all the things he left for you to do will have been done, that you, you hike up your robes so there's nothing hindering you. As a matter of fact, if you would, turn, flip over in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. I think this passage captures um, what what Jesus is getting at. Now, you know, we're going to look at three things. We're going to be looking at the fact that what's it mean to be dressed for action? What's it mean for our lamps to be burning? And, and what does it mean for us that we are waiting? And in dress for action, in Hebrews 12, 1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. If you are truly believing that Jesus is coming again, your life will reflect the fact that sin and distractions are put away. 
that they, you will take those seriously and you will try to remove those from your life so that you are quick and ready to respond to your master's commands and callings. This ties in with what we've been hearing from Jesus, right? He went through a whole series. Beware the, the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Don't be hypocrites. Then he went on and he said, don't be lovers of money, right? And he, and he went on and said, hey, don't start thinking more highly of yourself. Remember the fool who, who built barns and said, I'm going I'm to live my life in luxury. And, and Jesus said in the parable said, you fool, your very life will be uh, called, called for tonight. The one that honestly I struggled with because I know in our society, in our culture today, between social media and the, what I call the trophy generation where everybody's got to be successful, um, we live in a world where, where struggling and failure drive people into the ground. The, this idea that everybody will be perfect. It's just like with Sunday school, right? We're, we're trying, and I've told you guys from the very beginning, we're going to be a church that is different from this avenue. Most of the time in churches, if you try something and it doesn't work, you throw it out and you say, you say, we'll never do that again. And what's funny is I've seen churches where they, they made that statement three decades ago and they still won't try again because it failed one, at some time back there and there's somebody still in the church alive that was there when it happened. Sometimes a good idea can be executed poorly. Sometimes you've got to learn as you go. There's not a place in the world outside of the church that you don't, you don't try things and fail and then try again. We're doing that with Sunday school. We've, we're trying something new with uh, systematic theology. We're not quite sure how to exactly pull it in to make it all work. So we're going to keep trying until we get it. Uh, we're gonna, you know, you're going to give us feedback. We'll adjust. We're going to keep trying until we get it just you know, where it actually gets what we want it to get done. And that's the way we're going to be as a church. But we live in a world where perfection is so that anxiety and fear and worry rule a generation. Actually, I think it rules two or three generations. I saw it in the Navy. I see it out here. I see it in counseling all the time. When I grew up, I, ne I never heard of anybody having an anxiety attack. I'm sure they happened, but it was rare. It's hard for me to find somebody that doesn't, that doesn't deal with anxiety and anxiety attacks today. It's, it's prevalent. But you know what? God's Word still calls it a sin. And so if we're there and we're struggling with it, it's a part of our lives. It's a, it's, it's a part of what's happened in our culture. What we want to be is countercultural. Because we want to remove the entanglements that prevent us from being ready to serve our Master. So when I, when I preach a sermon on something like that, trust me, I get the fact that it's hard. That it's difficult. But listen, Jesus Christ is coming again. 
And he gave us tools and encouragements to not be greedy, to not be covetous, to not, to, to not give in to, not that we don't struggle with, but that not give in to anxiety. To not quit and just say, oh, oh well, I can't. I mean, the, these, this is the battle of our culture today. We are starting to, we now have this thing where we say, I am just like this and this is just the way I'm going to be. And it doesn't matter if it's sinful or not. We, have, we, we now wear tags that say, this is who I am and therefore I can be like this, I can sin like this and be okay and please God. This is the only thing we have that says what pleases God and what doesn't. Our culture doesn't get that authority. And so if you're going to serve your master, these things that we talk about from the Scripture, if you're going to be ready for action, you cannot give up fighting. I'm not telling you that, that the struggle is going to be easy. But understand this, I cannot, I cannot ever, no matter how deeply you are hurt or disturbed, I cannot ever tell you something okay if this says it's not. I can't. And we'll get back to that in a minute and tell you why. If this says something has to be dealt with, then in pure love and with compassion i'm going to tell you it has to be dealt with and i don't have a choice and if you want to live as if you're ready for the king to come you also don't have a choice you have to gird up you have to deal with that you have to work at removing that hindrance Sin and distraction. How many of us value comfort over godliness? How many of us value importance in our egos over godliness? How many of us value things of the world over godliness. How many of us value success over godliness? I can tell you today that there are pastors all over the country whose churches and them value success over godliness. Their, their Sunday will be measured by how many people were sitting out there listening. It'll be measured by how many people were online and what the offering was today. And they're going to measure their success on that, not on their obedience to the Word, not on the godly character that was reflected in the flock, not on the way that the flock treated each other. You'll know that, they'll know that you're my disciples by what? That you love one another. The way you guys treat each other matters. That's more, that's more important to me than how many people are in, that seat, in those seats. 
how you guys treat each other is much more important to me than how many people are in the seats here today. Because that's what this says. You need to be ready for action. You need to be freed up to be obedient. And if you're greedy and selfish and egotistical and suffering from fear and anxiety, if those things are there, you've got things wrapped around your ankles keeping you from running so that when the master comes to the door, you're not ready to go and answer it. And you need to be free to work. God has a work for you to do. God has a work for you to do. How many of you guys, D'Angelo, Gentry, how many of you guys uh, at work right now, right now, have somebody that God's burdened your heart for? At work. At work. What are you going to go do tomorrow? Anybody, God put a burden on your heart for somebody at work? How about, who's got a neighbor that God's put a burden on your heart? Yeah. If you're tangled up in sin and you're tangled up in distractions, then you are not free to go do the work of the kingdom. And what the work of the kingdom is about keeping your lamp lit. The one act that, the, that Jesus is talking about here that the servant needed to do is to be ready to answer the door and to have his lamp lit so that when the master came home, the house was full of light. Over in Matthew chapter 5, it says, 5, 14 and 16, it says, You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house, you are a light to the world. Jesus living in you and through you is exactly how the world sees Jesus. And if you're encumbered with sin, if you're encumbered with distractions, if you're seeking out everything but God, then what happens is the world looks for Jesus and all they see is your junk. So if you got an ego and it causes you to be prideful and you start wearing thin on people because of that, they're seeing you, not Jesus. If we don't deal with the distractions and the struggles of life any differently than the person next to us, if there's no power in your walk, you know, I, I, I got to ask, Liz, can I use your story about the COVID shot? So this, Liz became concerned about getting the COVID shot. And, and this is why I say concerned and not worried and not anxious, because what she did was she, put, she reached out and said, brothers and sisters, will you pray for me? I'm going to go do this, Right? What was the difference between concern and worry? Worry is about you. Concern is about, hey, this is a difficult circumstance. One prompts you to lock down. The other causes you to pray and to reach out and to seek God. That's a perfect example of light. But if, if 
the response would have been one where it was all on her and, and she was locked down. All of her coworkers would, would have looked and said, well, she, she's got no more power than I do. But she reached out and the body, the body prayed for her and she walked right through it in spite of the fear. That's what it looks like. That's what it looks like. But if you're entangled in these things, all wrapped up, you're not free to do the work that you're supposed to do. You're not going to be a light. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. When you're wrapped up in your pride, in your ego, how easy is it to be kind? I don't know about you guys, but when I'm walking in my pride and my ego, the people around me get really stupid. Truth. Because I get arrogant. If I'm walking in my fear, if I'm worried about something and I don't think, you know, and this, this usually happens with Margie. If, if I'm really wrapped up and, and anxious about something and she comes and tries to talk, I get defensive and angry because she doesn't understand and she's not giving me the right advice and she's not helping me in the way that I need help. It all becomes about me. And there definitely isn't any light shining. And when I'm doing those things, guess what I'm not doing? I'm not actually out serving and caring for and doing work, good works. We must be about our Father's business. If you're not forgiving, if you're not handling conflict differently, if you're not, if you're not selfless, if you're not generous to, to those in need. There's something broken. You're not ready for the Master's return. Your life isn't saying that you've got the light on for Him. And you need to evaluate that. You need to ask yourself, where am I? Am I truly girded up with my lamp burning, waiting for the Master to come? A lamp's got a purpose. In the ancient world, I want you to imagine, okay, we had, how many of you guys have walked down a street with no street lights on? How scary is that? Okay? Guess what, guess what life in the ancient world was like all the time? Oh, and by the way, they hadn't run all the wildlife out, so there were snakes and ad, there were adders and lions and hyenas and everything else running around. And all they had was this little oil lamp. Sometimes they put a little reflector around it. And its purpose was that sometimes, you know, there's a passage, thy word is a light into my feet and a lamp into my path. The light would just be like a candle. You, you can kind of see around you and then the, the lamp would be like shine out so you could actually see the path. Guys, as lights of the world, we're supposed to be guiding people on the path to Christ. 
That means that we are supposed to be living in holiness. We're supposed to be sharing the gospel. We're supposed to be doing acts of righteousness before men. Not for our credit, not for our glory, not to have, but rather that the, the Lord Jesus Christ would receive glory and honor for changed lives. And if you're not doing that, if you're not doing that, your lamp is not burning. It's not, it's not, I'm not encouraging you to, I'm telling you to evaluate. If your world is all about you, and you never think of anyone else, you never reach out and you never think of anyone else, and you don't do acts of kindness for others, your lamp is out. Period. And if you want to see a change in your life, if you want to find a different way to be, light your lamp. Start doing things for others in order to point them to Christ. Stop being selfish and self-centered. And counseling people who are struggling with depression, you know the, you know the first and best thing they can do? Go do something for someone else whether they feel like it or not. It's amazing. It is amazing the pressure it relieves off of them when they do that. God's Word is true. So we're girded up, the lamp is burning, and we're waiting for Christ. In 2 Peter 3, 1, 1-13, I'm not going to read it, but it basically says this, we're supposed, to be, we're supposed to be living lives that are holy and righteous as we wait, and we're to pray that His coming would come quickly. We should be praying that the Lord will come quickly. Waiting means that we're, we are prepared for Him to walk through the door. And you guys ever be in a situation where you're like, man, I hope nobody walks through the door right now. <laughs> right? Yeah. That's not, where, that's not where we should be. We should be ready for the Master to walk through the door right now. Our chores are done. We're girded up. We're ready to answer the door. The light's lit. And we should be looking at that door as we do go about all these tasks. We should be looking at that door going, oh, any minute now. Any minute now. And we should be going, oh, Lord, please hurry. Praying for it. Praying that he would walk in. And, and I, catch this, though. Let me ask you this. I've given you a whole list of things You've got to give up and things you've got to do. We sang this beautiful song. Holy, holy, holy. God almighty. Okay, this is Jesus. Read what happens for the faithful servant. Blessed are those servants whom the Master finds awake when He comes. Truly I say to you, He will dress Himself for service and have them recline at the table and He will come and serve them. Close your eyes for a second.
picture yourself sitting or lying at the table and the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Jesus you worship, He comes and He fills your cup and He puts food before you and He serves you. This holy and righteous God serves you. How much would you be willing to trade to experience that? How much would you be willing to give to experience that? Now one of the parts of being a pastor is this. You just have to get used to it. You have to know what's coming. Actually, it's not just a part of being a pastor. It's a part of being a leader in anything. Everybody who's not responsible for the final results has a better idea than you. It's just the way it is. Everybody has a better way of doing things than, than the leader. Right up until, and I, this is the great part about uh, uh, about the way God brought me into ministry. It's like everybody, everybody is so confident that they can lead better than the leader, whether it's a pastor or your boss or whatnot, right up until the point that your decisions actually have a consequence that you'll have to pay. When you have to pay the consequences for whether your idea is a good idea or a bad idea, suddenly your idea seems a little shakier than you thought it was. And I'm just, that's a universal truth. When you have to pay the consequences for your actions and your decisions, there are a lot fewer people who are ready for leadership. And I, I say this for this reason. Not everyone should presume to be a teacher. Not everyone should be fighting for control. Now, I, I will say this. Matt and I want it to be like this. We want you to feel like we are accessible and that we will listen to what you say. And we really genuinely want to hear what you have to say as we go about things. And you'd be surprised how many times that we listen and, or even eavesdrop and we, and we respond because we hear your hearts. But you also have to understand you're not our masters. We have a king. And, he, and we, we spend time in prayer and we seek God's will and we read his word and we study. And sometimes you're going to think you have a better idea and we're going to go, well, that's not the direction that God is taking us and so we can't go that way. Now you have a two choices that, at that point. You can, get, you can get mad or you can understand that we don't do anything because we want to harm you. And we're not doing anything because we want to shortchange you but we have an assignment from God to be your shepherds. Let's read this last section. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us all? For us or for all? And the Lord said, and this, to paraphrase this, he's saying, well, actually, yeah, that was for everyone, but I got a different message for you. And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager 
whom the master will set over his household to give them their portion of, of food at the proper time. What he's saying is, who is it? So Peter asked, hey, is this message about the servant for all of us or just us? And Jesus said, no, that's for, every, that's for everyone, but here's the message for you. In the parable, you are like this because of this. So he's telling Peter, you're like the, you're like the manager that I put over my household. And are you going to be faithful? That's the role that Matt and I and other leaders are going to carry. And he says, whom the master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time. We're supposed to feed you and care for you. Shepherd you. That's the, the, the word pastor literally means to shepherd. He says, Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all of his possessions. And so there is great reward for someone who fulfills this role well. But let's look and see what happens if you don't. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of the servant will come on a day when he does not expect, expect him and, on, and at an hour he does not know. And he will cut him to, into pieces and put him with the unfaithful. Let me give you the real blunt translation. When a pastor stops living like Jesus is coming again, and starts treating the church as his own personal tool, when he starts abusing the flock and being greedy and living licentiously through the, through the church, he's condemned to hell. He is unsaved. He will be cut to pieces and put with the unfaithful servants, the lost. Matt and I cannot steer from being your shepherds we must feed and care for you the best we can and the person we answer to for that is god himself hebrews 13 says that we are accountable for you that when it asks you to submit to us it asks you to submit because we are accountable our very souls our very souls rest on the fact that we will live in accordance as if we were believers that we will do what our Master says to do, which is to feed and care for you. And if we become arrogant and prideful, what it tells us is we never had the Holy Spirit. If we don't repent and we stay there, we're counted as lost. And I will just tell you flat out, there are guys preaching on TV this morning that are preaching for their benefit and their, their gluttony and abusing people and I don't have to worry about them because you know what? They will be cut to pieces and placed with the unfaithful. The price they're going to pay far outweighs anything I could do to them. But you have to understand that's the burden that we live with. So I'm asking that you be sheep that are willing to follow. We want to hear your hearts because we are better, we are better when you guys feel free 
to serve and to use your, your creativity and the gifts that God has given you. We are better when we hear your voice because we are limited. We're only two guys and we're too much alike. So we have almost no, our strengths are kind of like locked in a little ball here and we got a bunch of things we're not good at. And then on top of that, we're guys. So there's a lot of things we, don't, we, just, we just get wrong. <laughs> we need to hear from you. So, so don't think that we don't care to hear from you. We want to hear from you. And there will be things that we adjust because of what we hear. But you have to understand, if you bring something to us and we say, no, that can't be that way, we're not we are not going to be a consumeristic church. We're not going to try to please you. We're going to try to please our master. We're going to love you. We're going to love you as best we can. And we're going to care for you just as best we can. But in the end, if God has given us a direction, for those who know me, you know this, we are going to make disciples. If y'all get mad at me and there are three people left tomorrow, three of you better strap it on because we're doing discipleship. <laughs> Matt's going to bring the truth. That's his gifting. God's given him the prophetic gift. If you don't want to hear truth, if there's only three of you, strap it on because he's going to bring the truth. That's just the way it is. We're going, to, we're going to do what God has called us to do. What you need to take solace in is this, is that God has told us to care for you and to love you and to feed you. But for those of you who are slightly older, like Roger, I haven't given you an old guy joke in a long time, Roger. Been on vacation. <laughs> yeah, I know. But you know, some of us who have been in the church a long time, we get pretty comfortable with the way we want church to be, don't we? And it's real easy for us to think we don't really need what everybody else needs. But how many of us have watched generation after generation after generation of Christians stop serving and stop, stop sharing and stop being a part of the kingdom when they reach a certain age? or when they've been in the church a certain amount of time. That's not scriptural. That's, that's not being girded for action and with your lampstand burning, right? Comfort isn't what we're going to do. Tradition isn't what we're going to do. We're going to make disciples. We're going to proclaim the truth. We are going to do acts of righteousness in order to be lamps sitting on a, on, a, on a lampstand guiding people to Christ. That's what we're going to do because that's what we're called to do. My prayer is that we'll all do it together. My prayer is if you struggle with that, that you'll let us struggle with you. But if you come and you say, it's either this or I'm leaving, then know that we'll pray for you.
but we're not going to swerve from what our, what our master has said to do. It, it just isn't going to happen. And the consequences for us to do otherwise are dire. Do you understand that? If you're a teacher, you teach this word. You don't swerve from it. If you're making disciples, you call them to obedience and you don't swerve from it. Because that's what the Master said to do. Do not fall into the trap of letting the servants become the Master. Don't fall into that trap because the second you do, when you, as someone who's responsible, you pay the price. Now there's more, but I, I think that was really, that was the crux of what the Lord laid on my heart for us to have this morning. I need you to ask yourself this question this week. Last week, the last seven days, how did I live girded up? What got me entangled? What, what do I need, where, where do I need to tuck my robe back in because it's, it's fallen out? So how did I live girded up? How did my light shine? And evaluate. Am I really, am I really, really believing that Jesus is coming at any time? Do I really believe, am I looking at that door going, you know, any minute now, he could come walking through that door. And if not, what do we do when, when we find ourselves where we're not supposed to be? Not rhetorical. <laughs> what do we do when we find ourselves where we're not supposed to be? We confess, repent, turn, turn, and turn back to Christ, right? That's all. If you find that you were there, just repent. And say, okay, Lord, how can I, do, how can I be different this week? That's all. Just repent. Turn from that. Turn to Christ. Keep walking. Do something, do something kind for someone this week. Confess that sin that's been bothering you. Put it away. Let's pray. Father, um, let us be a church girded up, our lamps lit, waiting anxiously for you. Lord, let us be a flock where we as shepherds so greatly love the flock and care for the flock that they're at ease. Lord, let our flock be sheep who follow because of you, not because of us. And Father, I pray that even in our imperfectness and our brokenness and our messed upness, Lord, that you would use us to do great and mighty things for your kingdom, that we would be ready when you walk through the door, that we would be that faithful servant in all that we do. And I pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.